The Tom Woods Show, episode 2107. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Hey, everybody. I'm giving away three free courses from my Liberty Classroom. One of them is ex-Marxist Michael Rechtenwald teaching you about critical theory so you can understand leftism and fight it better, as well as our course on how Alexander Hamilton screwed up America and the history of the conservative and libertarian movements. Check it out at 3freecourses.com. Hey, everybody. Tom Woods here. Hal Cranmer joins us today. Hal owns a small string of long-term care facilities. And I want to talk to him about his experience over the past couple of years with the COVID breakout and all the different draconian policies that were instituted at facilities like his around the country and how he, as somebody who shares the views you and I hold, managed his own facilities during this critical time. Hal, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. I really appreciate you having me on. I'm so glad you suggested this because this is an excellent topic. I've wondered a bit about what was going on in these sorts of facilities myself. So first of all, give people a sense of your background. You are in assisted living. How did that come about? How long have you been in it? Okay. I probably have a much different background than anyone else in this business. I started professional life after graduating from the Air Force Academy as an Air Force pilot. And then I became a, an airline pilot after I got out. And then I lost my airline job after 9-11. And I went into manufacturing for about 15 years or so. And while I was in manufacturing, I was flipping houses and doing some rental properties on the side. And an investor told me, hey, if you like the cash flow from rental properties, you're going to like it a lot more assisted living. You should check it out. And I went to flight school down here in Phoenix, Arizona. And there was a guy teaching class on how to run an assisted living home rather than a big facility. These are basically big residential homes that are licensed for 5, 10, 15 people. So I went down, took the class, thought it sounded very interesting. And so I was living in Minnesota at the time. I bought one in 2015 and had a very good manager for that home. So he kind of ran it for me and I was flying down from Minnesota once a month to check on it, make sure everything's going all right. And then an opportunity came up to buy four more of them. And so my wife and I kind of took the plunge and bought them. My, my daughter was going to Arizona State at the time, and we always wanted to move back to Arizona after I'd gone to flight school here 25 years ago. So we bought four more, moved down here, and uh, started running them. And then I still have four of the total five. I sold one of them. It was getting an awful lot of work. So I wanted to cut back a little, but I still have four. And, you know, I got into this as a big investment opportunity, but I fell in love with taking care of old people. (laughs) And now it's just a huge passion of mine. And I, I really love doing it. Wow. Okay. Well, that is an interesting transformation. Yeah, it's it's fun to tell that story to people. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's nice to hear a story like that. Yeah. So let's then go to March 2020. Okay. What happens? So I was supposed to have a reunion of all my pilot training buddies in March 2020. And I was kind of going to be the host because they all are going to come to Arizona. And I called them up and said, look, I run an assisted living home. This is the most dangerous place, you know, the 
highest risk place. I can't hang out with you guys. So we canceled the reunion. But basically, Arizona did the 15 days to flatten the curve and then locked everything down soon thereafter. I guess California might have gone first and then Arizona followed soon after. And so we got calls from the Department of Health that the homes had to be locked down. There wasn't masking right away, although that came later. And they wanted us to write new policies and procedures on how to handle a pandemic. <laughs> I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, when I made this investment, that was not even on my radar. That was not on my radar at all. So fortunately, there's a very good assisted living community in Arizona. One thing I love about this industry is the people get into this industry for a lot of different reasons than I did. It seems like they have a calling. I swear there's a caregiver gene in people that the caregivers I have, that they were sort of born to do this. And we have a big lively Facebook group of a lot of assisted living homeowners and other medical professionals. And someone wrote pandemic policies and posted on the Facebook group. And so I was like, awesome. So I downloaded it, adjusted it to what I wanted, made some tweaks The libertarian streak in me wanted to be a little less draconian than everyone else. And then I sent them to the Department of Health. They approved them and said, good to go. Okay, so then, but you're surrounded by people all over the country who are in just outright panic. Then after that, we hear stories about, like, for example, in New York, New Jersey, they're concerned about hospital overcrowding, so you know what that means. Yes, Arizona was not, insane like New York. It did not require any of us to take in COVID positive patients, which was wonderful. But there was a huge need for assisted living and COVID positive patients. So there were some homes that basically told the residents a lot. Some of them were a couple of people I know had started a home in like February of 2020. And they're like, oh my God. And Since they were empty, we said, could you take COVID people? So we got COVID homes to, you know, just be completely COVID positive people. The real challenge was the caregivers because, you know, in March and April, everyone's freaking out. People are thinking this has got a 50% death rate, all that kind of stuff. So all the caregivers were like, I don't want to work in a home with the COVID people. So what happened was the price, supply, and demand. There weren't a lot of COVID homes. So the ones that did, charge extremely high prices and people would pay up because there was nowhere else to put them. And the caregivers, obviously they paid those caregivers a lot of money to work in those homes. I asked my caregivers about it and they were like, absolutely not, no way. (laughs) Things lightened up as time went on. But at first it was very hard because you couldn't, no one wanted to handle these people. The hospitals didn't want to handle them. The doctors didn't want to handle them. And so it was a lot of families just I got to take them in. And then the families are all getting sick. So it was a mess. All right. So as time goes on, though, gradually, maybe I'm getting too far ahead in the story. And if so, you reel me back in. But eventually, little by little throughout society, things begin to thaw and some semblance of normality returns. But it seems like the treatment of the elderly continues to be a very heavy-handed, one-size-fits-all, nobody-can-see-anybody Grandmas are just are locked behind a glass window forever. They they can barely socialize. They certainly can't see family. 
Mm-hmm. So even if the Department of Health in a particular state did, even if they did ease restrictions, there still seemed to be enough hysteria that providers might ignore the council that saying that they can ease up a bit. So right. what was your policy? Well, you know, I'm a big longtime fan of yours, Tom. So I was as libertarian as fighting this as hard as I could without losing my license. One good thing that came out of it, and I'll back up a little. One thing the Department of Health did was they stopped doing in-person inspections. So the Department of Health will come to your home at least once a year, possibly more, and just knock on the door one morning and say, time for your inspection. And you spend the next four hours with them going through all your paperwork and regulations and documentation, showing them everything. Well, they didn't want to come into the home. So they basically knock on the door, give us a piece of paper and say, you got 24 hours to get us all this information. So that was one change. And remarkably, all the homes suddenly did much better on their inspections with you know 24 hours notice. But I think the biggest thing was I wanted people to see their families. So when the, the lockdowns first started, I was more worried about what the families were thinking we were going to do with our residents than the Department of Health. And some of the families wanted to see their residents. Everyone understood, but a lot of the families were panicked, like we're not doing enough to protect our people. They wanted us to lock down really hard. So the Department of Health, I can fight back and forth on. The family's moving people out. (laughs) I'm going to lose my business. Yeah. So what I did was I started it. I got on MailChimp and started a weekly email to all the families of here's what we're doing. Here's what we're seeing. We don't have any COVID, anything like that going on. Here's what the Department of Health guide. I wanted them to have like more communication than they wanted and let them know I'm doing everything I can to protect your mom or dad. And they really appreciated that. So when things start, oh, and we also used electronics too. We set up Zoom calls. I bought a bunch of tablets so the the residents could hold the tablet and, you know, Zoom meeting with their parents or with their kids and, and families. We got some services that did virtual games because I normally had volunteers coming in to do like church people and stuff to do games and stuff with the residents. So we set up a virtual games. And what I found was it wasn't the same. The residents were either because of the era they grew up in or whatever, but they just were not into electronic entertainment at all. But they did like seeing their family and talking to them on Zoom. So when it opened up a little, I said, well, I'm opening up all the way kind of thing. So there was still a lot of fear. We were into the masking portion of this and everyone wanted, you know, was wearing masks and all that kind of stuff. And and I enforced masking when it started because like I think you've said on your podcast, no one knew. Everyone thought maybe this mask thing will work. So let's try it. But I soon realized it's not doing anything. And I hadn't had a COVID case to this point yet. So and, and now, so when is this exactly? This is probably like summer of 2020. Okay. Arizona kind of lifted a bunch of stuff. It was really weird. They still made gyms close and restaurants. And they said water parks had to close and bars and movie theaters. It was like five things. Everyone else could open up. And it wasn't open up. It was all the social distancing and very careful cleansing and all that kind of stuff. So I 
came up with the idea of, okay, I want my families back in here. So we bought a commercial clothing rack and we got like a clear shower curtain. And I put the residents on one side of that and the families on the other outside, either on the front porch or the back porch and said, you can come and and visit them. Let's just do this. And they were, the families were very happy with that. I never had the department of health, like come over other than their normal inspections and, and say, what are you doing? I called the Department of Health at this point and said, how much can I open up? And their guidance at that point was, do what you think is best, but don't get yourself on TV, you know, as one of these nursing homes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I was like, all right, well, I can avoid the TV thing. So I basically told families, call ahead. I used to have no visiting hours, like the golden rule, treat all the other residents as you'd want their families to treat your resident. I said, please call so we don't have four families coming over at once and have, you know, all these people in there spreading COVID. They acknowledged that. They were very happy about doing that and everything like that. I have some friends who run the, or who are employed in the big facilities. And I saw a lot of those big facilities really locking down, like you said. In fact, one of my friends who was the marketing director at a big facility organized a wedding for the resident's granddaughter. And the resident had to sit behind a window and they had the wedding right outside her window, which is really nice, but it's horrific in my opinion. Yeah, right, right. So I think the big facilities were all ruled by their corporate offices who gave blanket, this is how you're going to do it, whether it's in California or New York or whether it's in Arizona. And everyone had to do it the same way. So they really locked people down. And actually, as those restrictions eased, Word got out that I was very libertarian in my approach and let family see, and my business started booming. Yeah, that's what I was wondering, because what we sometimes hear, like, for example, with the vaccine passport system in New York City, where I'm recording this episode right now, what we've been told is if they get rid of the vaccine passport system, which they appear to have done, at least for the time being, the problem will be that people won't be confident enough to go out because people really, really favor these sorts of systems. But the other side of it was, no, people won't go out now because they hate the stupid system. And you know, so we don't really know which one is going to win out. Well, likewise, in your situation, you could easily see some people arguing that I need granny to be as safe as possible. And safe means cutting her off from all human contact. And that's what I want. And you would have to test to see on the, in the market which approach wins out. So to hear that generally people thought that was inhumane and they wanted to come support you and get the services you offer is a refreshing thing to hear. Right. I totally thought it was, okay, let's do a market test on this. And I was winning like crazy. I was turning people away. People wanted to move out because it was not only that we're locking them down and trying to be safe. It almost seems, you know, like we're locking them down. We're not talking to you. Call us in six months or something. And they didn't even get communication of how their mom or dad's doing. Yeah. So it it was just really poor customer service, it seems like, on some of these big facilities. Well, eventually, one of your homes did have uh, COVID spread in it. So what did you do? What happened? So this was... I didn't have COVID until about the, towards the end of the year in 2020, the vaccines weren't available. We had a lady go to the hospital for a medical condition. She came back and she had COVID. We didn't know it at the time. They told us she was negative, but she came back and had it. So it spread and we had seven residents get it. So 
we weren't doing any vaccines or anything at that point. So I've been reading a lot. In fact, at the beginning of COVID, I kind of used it as a little marketing thing. I got together with some you know, naturopathic physicians and some doctors I trusted. And we put together a booklet of here's how to be healthy during COVID and maybe minimize the impact of it. And I made an ebook and used your course and sent it out. All right, great. It, yeah, it works. It works. So those same doctors I called up and said, okay, I got it. What do we do? And we loaded them up with vitamin D, vitamin C, vitamin A, and we did some of Z-Pak stuff. And then we took them out every day. I told the caregivers, I want them out in the sunshine for at least half an hour to 45 minutes a day. It was late fall, so it was cooler. It wasn't the Arizona July kind of heat. And we had very minimal symptoms. I had a 100-year-old lady who had a cough and a 99-degree fever, and in three days, she was over it. All the other ones, I'm not saying what I did was the cure for COVID or anything, but I think it helped. I mean, I, I've got Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, arthritis, arteriosclerosis, dementia, Huntington's disease. I got every malady you could think of, every comorbidity, and they all survived. Now, you know, let's stop for a second, because I know that correlation doesn't equal causation. We've heard that over and over. But doggone, if the situation were reversed and you had done whatever the heck they recommend mm-hmm. and it had come out the same way, they would have, they would have taken the credit. Um, but if you do this and you, let's say you did try to take credit for that, they would be tut-tutting you. Well, you can't say that that's what... Did. Well, <laughs> come on, you know, let's be fair here. Yes, exactly. And yeah, to this day, I don't know what fixes COVID. I had COVID. I through the kitchen sink, like Joe Rogan said at it, and got over it in a week or so. But I couldn't tell you which one of those things, but I'm just going to do everything I could from people I trust. Yeah. You know, I look at the people who lie to me all the time, like you expose in your newsletters, and I don't listen to them. But I listen to people who will tell me, I don't know, <laughs> you know, but I think this might help, that kind of thing. And yeah. it did. So it progressed into the, the new year. Arizona was, they gave the first responders the COVID vaccines first, and then they opened it up for anyone over 65. And we had a bunch of mobile services from the Maricopa County Department of Health that they set it up for vaccines. I told my residents and families, if you want to get vaccinated, great. If you don't, great too. I don't care. And so no one seemed to have an objection to that. I, I got a few other people in this industry, like, what do you mean you're not making everyone mandatory? And I'm like, I don't know, because I haven't seen proof it works real. <laughs> and I believe in freedom. So I just, just like flu shots are totally optional for my residents. I said, the vaccine is, but we, we had people come over and administer the vaccine, both to caregivers and to residents. And they, they did a really good job of that. But then after that, I got COVID in another of my homes, which was fully vaccinated pretty much. We did lose one person in that home. He had a lot of other issues. I think he had cancer. And then he also absolutely refused to do any of the vitamin stuff, go outside. He's like, I just want to stay in my room, leave me alone. And so unfortunately, he passed away. One of the biggest problems in that other home too was some of my caregivers got it. My first home, no one got it for the employees, but the caregivers did. So a bunch of them went home and quarantined and everything. And so I was paying out a ton of overtime to the ones that stayed. And fortunately, the ones that stayed didn't get it, but it was uh, 
I could see if it runs rampant through caregiving staff, probably same with hospitals, with nurses and doctors. It's more of a nightmare almost than the residents getting it. If you have a private long-term care facility like yours, do the people who work at it count as healthcare workers and would fall under the federal vaccine mandate? Yes. Oh, I was thinking, no. Let me take that back because I thought you were asking, do they get priority in the vaccines? They do get priority. No, the federal vaccine mandate is for facilities that take Medicare. And most of my homes are private pay. So the only insurance that either they take Medicaid, because Medicare doesn't pay for long-term care, or they have long-term care insurance from a private insurance company, or there's a veteran's benefit that some of them can get to if they're a veteran from the VA. But the only, it's Medicare has to, you know. I forgot about the Medicare connection. Yeah. Okay. So I, okay. So when I learned that, I'm like, well, I'm not going to enforce that. And no one has ever come to me and asked, hey, there's a mandate here. I know, like I work with a lot of hospices, mobile doctors' offices, home health care agencies, things like that. They all mandated that their people get it because I think they have to take the Medicare part of it. Okay. All right. I got you. Hey, folks, this episode is sponsored by Skillshare. The online learning community is offering our listeners a one-month free trial. Make 2022 a year of new learning, growth, and connection through creativity with online classes from Skillshare. One membership gets you access to thousands and thousands of fascinating classes on topics including illustration, design, photography, animation, productivity, and more. For you Instagram people, there's video for Instagram. Tell an engaging story in less than a minute. Or portrait photography, shoot and edit Instagram-worthy shots. I'm not on Instagram, but I'd love to shoot and edit Instagram-worthy shots. And look, whether you're a dabbler or a pro, a hobbyist or a master, you're creative. And that's why Skillshare has classes for every skill level. It's got short lessons, hands-on projects, classes designed for real life. You can tap into that creativity you know is in there. Skillshare helps you move your creative journey forward without putting life on hold. You'll create real projects and get the support of fellow creatives so you can accomplish real growth. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com woods, where our listeners get a one-month free trial. That's one month free at Skillshare.com woods. Before I continue... Would you be in regular contact with people in your industry, especially as this was all going on, to get a sense of what's going on at your facility, what's going on at yours? Did you have any professional contacts where you were talking? And if so, did they think you were crazy? I got the full range. We, Like I said, we have an active Facebook group. We have networking meetings. We have a lot of Zoom networking meetings during this time. And everyone teases me as the libertarian homeowner because I get up there and rail Zoom <laughs> meeting that this is crazy. Why are we doing this? So I, I got the full reaction from, I got a couple people just didn't want to have anything to do with me to hopefully influencing some that you can open up a little more. Because as soon as they opened up, I organized a boat trip on a local lake, which people probably think I'm crazy that there's a lake in Arizona, but there's a big lake near us that has a big steam sort of old steamboat kind of thing. And I brought all the residents out on that. I'm like, and I emailed the families. It was like, we got cabin fever. They've opened up a little, let's do this. And the families overwhelmingly loved it. They all came out with the residents and we just had a huge day out on Lake Pleasant. And it was, uh, 
you know, I took tons of videos and put them on the Facebook because I really wanted to do kind of an in-your-face to those people who were really part of the COVID cult. You were saying to me that you came to love doing what you were doing. So that means you must have had one-on-one contact with a good number of these people. Like In other words, you must have gotten to know them, talk to them. Yes. What were they themselves saying? How did they rank concern about COVID as against concern for their spiritual well-being, basically? You mean like people in the industry? The residents themselves. Oh, well, unfortunately, some of the residents have dementia and Alzheimer's, so they were very confused about that. I would say most of the ones that are still with it, surprisingly, a large number of them were thinking this is either a scam or kind of no big deal. I think it's, you know, these old people who are like, I went through World War II, this is nothing, you know? Oh, yeah, that attitude, okay. Yeah, so I got more fear from a lot of my caregivers than I did the the residents. And I'd go into the homes and they'd have CNN on the main living room TV screen and I'd be like, turn that off. Or I'd say, put on, you know, one of these old Bonanza or, or gun smoke shows or something like that because that, it's a lot calmer for my residents and it, it's their era, that kind of thing. And, and so I tried to keep the constant drumbeat of the horrible news fear factory out of the homes too. And I think that helps some. Yeah, that's pretty smart. I just remember seeing a case of a facility of some kind, I think it was in Colorado, where the residents actually protested the draconian policies. Oh, and they were, hold, yeah. they were holding signs, you know, talking about quality of life and just, look, I'll take the risk. I want to hug my kids. Right. <laughs> you know, let me decide that. Yes. And I think a lot of the local authorities were scoffing at this too, because I, we had a lady turn 100, the one that got sick, and she's 101 now. She was like 99 and 100 when she got this thing. But we called the local police department, so we got a 100-year-old birthday. Could you do an escort? in front of her. And so we brought her out of the home on the sidewalk and the police gave us an escort with all her family and cars behind it with banners and everything as they drove by and waved at her. We had a band playing and everything. And the police were totally into it. They were not upset that we weren't wearing masks or anything like that. Well, now that it's, I hate to say all over because you never know what these people have up their sleeves, and there are still, and I'm talking about the United States, of course, there's still insanity in a a lot of places, but Mm. I'm in New York City right now. Apart from California, the epicenter of complete insanity. And here, there's much more normality than I expected. I'm still not, I'm not going to a Broadway show where I have to show vaccine proof and wear a mask. Absolutely not. Especially the way they enforce the mask wearing. I mean, at a lot of concerts, you have to wear a mask to get in. Then everybody knows once you're in there, you just take it off and nobody cares. They right. enforce it in a ridiculously draconian and idiotic way. Anyway, the reason I say this, I think some people think, maybe not my listeners, but some people think, okay, we went through this hard time, but now it's lifting and now we can just go on as if nothing happened. But there are long-term consequences to doing things like this. You you can't just pick up as if nothing happened because something did happen and that something has a wide range of consequences. So can you talk about what would be the long-term consequences in your industry of the lockdown policy? Well, I know like Arizona's very wide open now. 
there are a few people here and there wear masks, but mostly it's completely open. And it's been open at least six or seven months, at least now, maybe a year. So when I do tours of new families come into the place, see if they want to move their loved one in, people will show up with masks. They just assume it's an assisted living facility, so you must mask. And as soon as I realized these masks were ridiculous, you know, in 2020, I told my caregivers, you don't have to wear one. And so when people show up, I say, it's up to you if you want to wear that. No one in here is wearing it. And some of them still wear it. And some of them rip it off and go, oh, thank goodness. So I think there's still the mentality of assisted living because I still get questions all the time of, can I take my grandmother to dinner? I'm like, it's your grandmother. Of course you can. And they're like, well, I don't know. Can they, how many phone calls are they allowed to make a day? I'm like, I don't know. How many can they make? <laughs> they think of it as a prison because of those lockdowns. And what, what kind of privileges do you give them? And I told them, this is their home. Imagine what they do in their home. They can do that here. Yeah. And it's very hard to convince some of them. Like they keep asking me, is it okay if we do this? Is it okay. I'm like, this is not a prison. <laughs> This is a care facility and we're caring for it and we want them to feel like they're at home. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. That is good. It's I'm, good I'm glad you're doing that, but it's too bad that people have got this impression that they have to ask permission to do the, the tiniest things. But right. I suppose there must be, are you also seeing problems that we see in other sectors of the economy with the so-called supply chain or with labor shortages, stuff like that? Well, labor shortages are a huge problem. They've been a problem since before the pandemic. There is a real crisis of caregivers in the United States. And I think it's worldwide. If you go over to Japan, they're actually making robots to be caregivers. But I'm actually working with an immigration attorney to bring caregivers in from overseas the legal way because there's such a shortage of them here. And it also, the ones I'm bringing from overseas are family members of some of my caregivers. So it, lots of benefits of doing that. But labor is a, is a tremendous problem. And the baby boomers are all hitting the assisted living age now. So it's going to get even worse. And I, I don't know how they're going to fix it, but it's going to be a real challenge. As for supply chain, yes, food obviously is getting very expensive when you got to pay, you got to feed 40, 50 people, three meals a day, every day, <laughs> your food bill adds up. And it was a real problem during the pandemic because when they limited toilet paper to one pack, well, I got 50 people. I'll go through one pack in a day. <laughs> yeah. If not a couple hours. And these guys aren't exactly all constipated, to say the least. So, you know, I was going to people in the store say, hey, I own an assisted living home. Can you buy this toilet paper and give it to me? <laughs> you know, and I'll pay you for it. And a lot of people were very generous. My daughter also works for a food distribution company that distributes food to big restaurant chains and stuff. So they have a distribution warehouse and she'd call me and say, hey, dad, the truck's going to be there at 6 a.m. on Wednesday. And they didn't have limits on stuff. So 6 a.m. Wednesday, I'd be there ready to go and with a couple shopping carts and load up on bulk meat and toilet paper and paper towels and gloves wow. and all that kind of stuff. So I've contracted with that distribution company now and they're, they're bringing me food because I thought me walking into Walmart or a grocery store, I don't have any leverage with the distribution company and having all my homes 
they're going to be more interested in securing the food supply. But I'm, I'm very worried about that as, as time goes on here. Yeah, yeah. Well, are you in a position to be able to disclose to people like how they can look into your facilities? Because I'm sure after this episode, some people will want to. And I know you have only so many spots. Yeah, no. I how, do you want, how do you want to do this? I would love to do that. So our homes are called a paradise for parents. We have two homes in Surprise, Arizona. One in Is Green- that a real place? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and it's started by a lady who said, I'd be surprised if anyone ever lived here. <laughs> oh, that's hysterical. I love that. Okay. Yeah. We have one in Goodyear, which was started by the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company. And then one in Mesa, Arizona also. And I do have openings from time to time. It changes weekly. It's not like a one-year rental contract by any means. I'd also like to send you, right before the pandemic, I'm trying to single-handedly change the reputation of assisted living in the United States because all you hear in the news is when some sexual abuse happens or some horrible thing happens to a resident. They're unbelievably good and caring people in this industry and they never get the spotlight. So we, we did a music video. We took Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen and changed it into assisted living Rhapsody. Oh, gosh. Okay. And we took our residents, gave them instruments to sort of air guitar, and we just had a blast. The families came in, we barbecued and brought a production company. I'd love to send that to just give an idea that there are cool things going on in assisted living, and it's not these horrible, take advantage of grandma kind of places. So, well, I'll post it on the show notes page. Okay. I'll, I mean, that would be great. The show notes page is tomwoods.com slash 2107. I'd be glad to do that. I really appreciate it. I'll send you the link to my website and the music video. And the music video is on the front page of the website too. Okay, excellent. All right. So I'll put all this stuff up at tomwoods.com slash 2107. And Hal, thanks for this great story, an example of somebody with good sense, what one person can in fact do in his own world and indeed in the worlds of numerous other people. So Excellent, very important story, and thanks for telling it and doing it and living it. Well, you inspire me, Tom, with all your libertarian knowledge. So I'm a diehard listener of your podcast, and I really appreciate what you do too, and I really appreciate you having me on today. Thank you. Thanks again, Hal. Have a great day, Tom. All right, everybody, that's going to do it tomorrow, at least as I record these, if you're listening day by day. Tomorrow is Good Friday, so there won't be a Tom Woods Show episode, but we will be resuming on Monday, April 18th with fresh content for everybody. So I'll see you then. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.